And that's why I think in the sermon preparation moment, you need to be thinking about your people. You need to be thinking about who they are, what they're doing for work. And you need to be asking yourself, and this is what I try to ask myself, is this really important to so-and-so who's going to work tomorrow as an IT professional? I mean, and hear me, I think that God's word is incredibly important, but not all the information that people write about God's word is incredibly important. So I'm really asking myself, what's helpful, what gives understanding to the text, and what's just a theological debate that people don't need to be made aware of. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 262. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and thank you so much for listening. The voice that you just heard is our guest for this week, the Reverend Joe Terreri. Uh, Joe's the lead pastor of Connection Church in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Uh, He's been in that position for 16 years. He also is serving as a preaching professor at the University of Valley Forge. So he speaks from experience. He speaks from an educated and a practical perspective. And there's lots of great stuff in here about watching your tone and having that balance between authoritative declaration and challenge and also the comfort that Christ offers. There's there's all that which is so good. But specifically, I want you to pay attention to the advice that he gives about how we can grow as self-critiquers. Joe believes that you and I should be at the very least listening or maybe even watching the recordings of ourselves as we preach or teach so that we can critique ourselves well and incrementally grow over the years. Make sure you take notes and maybe even put that into practice. All right. This episode is brought to you by our friends at the Cultivate Church Planting Initiative. I'm going to allow two of my very dear friends and colleagues, Clay Worrell and Nick Cady, introduce you to the Cultivate Church Planting Initiative. And after that, our episode is going to play automatically. So I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. The gospel is the hope of the world, and the world needs more gospel-centered churches. That's why Cultivate by CGN exists. I'm Clay Worrell, Executive Director of CGN, and I'm here with my friend, Pastor Nick Cady. We want to take a moment to let you know about the Cultivate Church Planter Training Program. Cultivate has created the infrastructure to support the planting of 1,000 new churches in the next decades, starting in 2023. We follow in the footsteps of renowned church planters in the Calvary Chapel movement, embracing and adopting their rich heritage of church planting in order to transmit our values, theology, and philosophy of ministry to this generation and for those to come. You know, as church planters ourselves, we understand that planting a church is not an easy task, but we believe it's an essential one. That's why we've created a range of resources to help you and your team prepare for the journey ahead. Our resources are personal, 
practical, and pastoral. Our program is from 6 to 24 months and is designed to equip you to lead a gospel-centered community wherever God has called you around the world. We also have a global team of mentors and coaches with thousands of hours of experience planting and pastoring churches, and they're ready to support you in the training phase, the launch phase, and in the post-launch phase of planting a church. With our guidance and support, you can feel confident in your ability to engage the world for Christ. Are you ready to answer the call of church planting? Together we can make a difference and bring the hope of the gospel to communities around the world. If you're ready to take the next steps and learn more about our church planting program, we invite you to visit our website at cultivatechurchplanting.com. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm speaking with Joe Terreri, and we're going to talk about preaching, teaching, feedback, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, so good morning, Joe. How are you? Good morning, Mike. It is so good to be here. I'm doing well. So I'm like, I'm not, every time I attempt to do like opening banter or small talk, it never really works. So let's just get straight into it. <laughs> um, can you talk to us? We can get to know you this way. Like, what was the first time that you ever taught the Bible? What was your first sermon? How, what was your first preaching experience? Well, I had a lot of uh, kind of real uh, experiences in youth group growing up. I was able to preach a couple messages kind of when I reached age 19. I have no recollection of those at all. So the first sermon I remember that was kind of my uh, big church sermon on a Sunday morning, uh, I had been a pastor for two years and I preached on Rahab. Uh, and that was a pretty awesome experience because in that message, I got to talk about my grandmother and just how the Lord used her life and my life. And it was actually a really great way for me to honor her. But at the <laughs> same time, the message was not good. I remember, I think I thought it was going to be like a 40 minute message and it ended up to be about 23 minutes. And I believe the church was stunned that I had finished so soon. And they had to like go tell the children's workers. And I, you know, I get done and, you know, people are encouraging and they're like, oh, good job. But I remember my, uh, my boss at the time, who the founder of our church, he just kind of came up to me uh, a few months later after I had preached a few times. And he, he just said, and after I preached, I would say my first good sermon, he said to me, he goes, your first sermon wasn't that good. <laughs> I just remember thinking like, thanks for telling me now. So yeah, I have strong memories of that first sermon on a Sunday morning. I was I was incredibly nervous and uh, and it wrapped up way faster than I thought it would. I was probably talking too fast. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So ending too short on the list of things that could have possibly gone wrong in a first sermon, that's, that's not the worst thing that could have happened. No, not at all. It, it, it's not the worst thing. Uh, we've all been in environments where people don't stop talking and you're praying for a swift end or a fire or something. Yeah. Um, so I think that uh, preaching too short isn't, isn't wrong, but I do, but I do think uh, maybe not filling the sermon out with applicable content is okay. just, and, and I think that's all based on what your congregation expects. You know, some churches, you know, you do a 12 minute homily and others, you do a 50 minute exposition. Our church was, you know, we, we were kind of solidly 30 to 35 minutes every week. So it wasn't a big deal that I went too short, but yeah. it was definitely noticeable and uh, a funny thing looking back. And, and to be quite clear, the sermon was, was not, uh, good for the first time around. 
Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, I'm I'm focusing on that one aspect that that you mentioned that it was too short, but at the same time too, if if your mentor or your boss or whoever were to come back and to give critique later on to say that wasn't very good, it certainly wasn't limited to only oh, it should have been seven minutes longer, Joe. <laughs> yeah, it certainly wasn't that at all. I think it was. I think it was multiple uh, issues there. So yes, and and thank the Lord that. Um, you know, one one thing that was unique about my experience in learning to preach is there was a time in my life where I was preaching three times a week, three separate messages okay. per week. Oh, okay. So I was preaching, uh, I was our youth pastor. So I was preaching our, our youth service, which was me and about uh, seven kids. Um, and then I was preaching at this event we had called Tuesday night at chaplains, which was a young adult service that met in this music cafe every, uh, every week. And so I preached a lot there and then I was preaching every other week on Sunday morning. So though, like most preachers, you start off and it's not that good. The Lord just gave me this great gift. And even though it was an incredibly, uh, high amount of work, the Lord gave me this great gift of having multiple preaching opportunities. Preaching three different messages in a week is just is not sustainable. But I do think it was a way the Lord was helping me grow in my gifting in an accelerated way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a a unique gift. Uh, one of my mentors, uh, David Guzik, he told me that the, your first two hundred sermons are going to be no good. So he's like, just try to get them out of the way as as fast as you can, yes. and and say yes to all the yes. opportunities. And you know, it's going to take two hundred or so until you kind of find your own voice and then get good at it. So, and with no disrespect to you know, even though I was trying hard, and I'm sure you were trying hard, but they're just not going to be that great. Oh, I couldn't agree with that more. I couldn't agree with that more. And I think that's something that is really important for young preachers to know and people just starting out. Um, preaching is a skill that you grow into and and it would actually be without realizing this is what it is it's kind of the sense of like pride that would say like oh i should be good at this after i do it six times and it's like well that's not how anything in life works yeah and and because there's a huge spiritual dimension to preaching there is this sense where oh because it's spiritual i should be good at it and it's like no like you're not going to be good for a while and that's okay. And, and that's why um, I think it's important to have lots of feedback. And I think it's important to have uh, lots of opportunities and to say yes. Like you said, Mike, I love that. Just to say yes to every opportunity you get. That's really how you grow. You grow by doing. Um, and Yeah. And the time comes when, when your life is at a different stage, when you have to start saying no to things as well, too. So I think in the beginning, Absolutely. you say yes. And then there comes a time where you just got to start saying no as well to kind of steward your time. And, you know, maybe when you have a small family or no family, um, that's when you have the time to say yes to everything. And then as things change or shift, responsibilities force you to say no sometimes. But you you mentioned feedback. And I want to I want to catch talk about feedback in, in just a moment. But you you said that you know, over those years, you did get better. How how did you get better, if I could say that? Or like, what were the things, what were the mistakes that you used to make that, you know, by God's grace and through your effort, you've stopped making? What are the things that you stopped doing? I think I stopped uh, expecting uh, perfection. 
Um, I think that it's really easy to get discouraged in your preaching and to ruminate over and over again on your mistakes. Uh, and so some of the things that uh, you need to stop doing is you need to stop acting like every sermon is going to be a home run. Um, because that kind of pressure in your soul actually sucks out all the joy of serving God and serving the people of God. And so I think I think you have to stop putting so much pressure on yourself. And, and then I think you need to know what people can handle and helping the sermon be structured in a way that people can really feast. Um, so I always think about preaching as serving a meal. And, and that's, of course, that thought isn't original with me, but it needs to be a meal that's digestible. And so too much, you know, for example, like too much background information, people get lost, uh, not enough life application, um, or, or maybe getting there too quickly without showing people how you've located in the text, why you're saying what you're saying, uh, learning to study and have a process and then one thing I got better at, Mike, is just, you know this, if you're a serious Bible teacher, you're going to spend a lot of time in commentaries. And one of the things that you find in commentaries is that scholars are arguing with one another about things that the people of God, it's an academic discussion. Yeah. And so I found myself in my early years of preaching, just getting lost in commentaries and kind of racking my brain and being like, oh my gosh, I want to get this right. But this person saying this and that person saying this other thing and, and they're fighting with one another. And I'm reading this commentaries that are actually quoting one another. And then it's like, wait a minute, there's so much noise in scholarship. And by the way, I'm not saying it's not important. It's just not important for your sermon. Mm -hmm. And I think that I've learned to be more efficient in my prep instead of taking, you know, 25 hours to prepare a message, do it in 15. And, and part of that is just learning in preaching, there's decisions to be made and you have to be decisive to get something on the page that you hope is obviously accurate from the Lord expositionally sound. Decisions to be made. I, I like that. And and growing in, in decisiveness. So at what point, let's say, I can't think of a, an example off the top of my head, but like as you're engaging with these different, one scholar says this, the other one says that, how long do you give it before you decide, well, I'm done with this, or this, this is not crucial, this is not necessary? Yeah, I think, I think as the preacher, you need to understand what they're wrestling about. Okay. And so I think you need to have a personal understanding like, okay, I see that issue. And then you need to make a value judgment. Is this actually important? And that's why I think in the sermon preparation moment, you need to be thinking about your people. You need to be thinking about who they are, what they're doing for work. And you need to be asking yourself, and this is what I try to ask myself, is this really important to so-and-so who's going to work tomorrow as an IT professional? I mean, and hear me, I think that God's word is incredibly important. But not all the information that people write about God's word is incredibly important. So I'm really asking myself what's helpful, what gives understanding to the text, and what's just a theological debate that people don't need to be made aware of. Because actually, when you bring in lots of different opinions to your sermon, it it actually creates confusion for people. 
And I think for every preacher, we know the pain of communication is that you think you're being painfully clear about things. And then someone will come up to you after a message and, and say, oh, you know, you know, when you were saying this and you're like, I didn't actually say that. And then you go back and listen to think, did I say that? And you're like, no, but that's what people hear. Yeah. So I think being decisive about what's helpful, what informs understanding without overwhelming is a really important part of preaching. And I think for me, I am always aiming. And I think maybe if you were to say like, what do you think you're good at in preaching? It's actually clarity. Like I always want my sermons to be super clear. I think clarity is a gift to the people of God so that they can understand the text and then understand how it applies to their, as I always say, their Monday through Saturdays. Yeah. Well, having heard you preach in the room and having listened to uh, other of your messages, I think that yeah, clarity is obviously something you're reaching for. And I believe that you have, and it's it's a gift. Someone said that clarity is kindness and it is kind to be clear to people. Okay. So I, I mentioned, I want to come back to the, the feedback piece. So you got clear, hopefully, feedback um, after your first big church sermon or big people church sermon out of the youth group and into the, the main the main sanctuary. And I know that now that you're you're teaching at University of Valley Forge, in addition to your, your church ministries, and you're teaching a, a class on preaching. And I know that a big part of your curriculum is based on assessments of sermons and giving feedback to to sermons. I, I wonder, do you have any thoughts on like the importance or the value of of giving and receiving feedback? And then I have some other questions to, to follow up on that. Absolutely. So uh, in our class, what we what we did this last semester is after every sermon, so the students had to preach three sermons, a five-minute sermon, a 12-minute sermon, and then a 20-minute sermon. And after the first sermon, I gave this one rule. The only feedback we can give after the first five-minute sermon is positive feedback, because I wanted the students to learn to find something good in every sermon, because I think that's a spiritual discipline that we need to have. However, um, once we got to the second and third sermon, we started to have critical feedback. And so kind of in our culture at the church, we call it the last 5%. And so I find that people will give you 95% of their feedback, which is, hey, you did a great job. I love that message. It really ministered to me. But sometimes they're not going to give you the last 5%, which is something like, you know, when you said this, it felt like you were really devaluing being single. It's like, oh, I I had no intention of doing that. And so in our class, we practiced giving critical feedback and giving encouraging feedback because preachers need both. But we really tried to focus on not just like good job or I didn't like that. We try to focus on this is where you lost me. I didn't understand what you were saying. I was bored for like five minutes when you were talking about this thing. Or you didn't seem like you were yourself during that message. It seems like you were like uncomfortable and you weren't fully present. And so I think creating a feedback culture around preaching is actually a secret to exponential growth in your preaching. The thing is, is it just takes, I mean, 
every preacher who's worth their salt pours their life into their sermons. I mean, yeah. Mike, you know how this goes. You you stand before the people of God, you pour your heart into your work, and then you deliver the message. And the last thing you want to hear is that wasn't perfect, <laughs> even though you know it wasn't. Yeah. Um, but that feedback is so helpful to just building self-awareness and understanding how you come across and understanding where you're lacking clarity. And so I think that um, if there's not people in your life who you've given permission to, to say, I want you to tell me exactly what you think about the message, then you're going to stay in the same spot for a long time. And and I don't mean this to be harsh, but it's like, yeah, you, you kind of stay delusional about where you're at for a long time. But feedback is a gift because it helps us to live in reality. And then it also helps us to know how we can improve and grow. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a great thing that you, with, with your class, um, how at the beginning it's only positive feedback. That's, that's great because you don't want to unleash a bunch of uneducated, highly opinionated, uh, young preachers on each other, but that as, as they progress through the semester and hopefully with growing in, I guess, knowledge of, of the craft and ongoing spiritual maturity, then they're able to give that last 5%. Uh, that's kind. Yeah. We, we want to create an environment where, and this is what I think is key to sermon feedback is, is, is love. Mm -hmm. I want to receive feedback and I think this is a, I think this is a fine rule to make. I mean, I don't think this has to be your rule, but for me personally, I want to receive critical feedback from people who I know really love me because they're not trying to shoot. They're not trying to cut me down. They care about me. They care about the people of God. Uh, they, they care about the glory of Jesus in the church. And so love is actually a key component of really sound sermon critique. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's when someone else gives it to another person. Like my, my follow-on question is from looking at your syllabus. And then also this is maybe more relevant to, to us immediately. How can we be good crit critics of our own sermons? Um, maybe some of us are listening to this and be like, yeah, okay, find someone who loves you enough to give you good feedback. Maybe maybe there's some preacher listening to this and like, I got nobody. <laughs> I got nobody who loves me enough to give me this feedback. How can we give accurate feedback to ourselves? Well, I think something that is really helpful is just to begin with this assumption. Nothing goes as good as you think it went and nothing goes as poorly as you think it went. The truth is somewhere in the middle. So if you think you did amazing, you probably did a good job. If you think you bombed, it probably wasn't that bad. So the first is to understand that we're always going to inflate on, on one side of that equation and exaggerate what actually happened. So what really helps is, is not on Sunday afternoon, but on and probably not on Monday either, but sometime during the week, sitting down at your desk, pulling up either the video or the audio of the message and um, and and listening and or watching and seeing how you come across, seeing uh, what your body language looks like. Uh, sometimes like when I've watched myself, people have said like, you don't smile a lot when you're mm -hmm. preaching. And it's like, well, it's not a happy occasion, but I get what they're saying. Like I've noticed when I'm preaching and I smile, it does create, it does kind of release some tension in the room. And I'm like, oh, I would have never known that if I didn't see it. So I do, even though it's really painful to listen to yourself and to watch yourself, it actually is a way 
for you to do it. And then it's like, it's amazing for me. Sometimes I'll listen to my messages and I'll be like, that part was not important or I'm, I'm bored listening to me. So I think, I think just being uh razor sharp, honest, be kind to yourself, okay. but also be, be real. Um, like, Hey, I made that joke. It wasn't funny at all. Here's the truth. I'm actually not a funny person. So maybe I shouldn't trying to work in off the cuff humor. Cause I'm just not good at it. Or, you know, so I just think kind of asking yourself those questions and, um, and, and being honest and, and forthright and not, uh, and not being afraid to just speak the truth to yourself. And at the same time, just knowing, uh, the grace of Jesus Christ is just always for you. And yeah. so it's okay it, because we're deeply loved children of God. We can be honest about where we're at and preaching is not performance art. It is the proclamation of God's word. And so we're vessels. And so we can be honest that we're broken vessels. Yeah. Yeah. And if somebody were to walk into your office on any given Tuesday and they were to catch you in front of a computer watching a video of yourself preaching, that could look like the most self-indulgent, um, self-obsessed thing. But but you're saying like this actually is a way to serve people better if, if you do it with the right heart and the right mind. Yeah, like it, it's not a time for self-loathing. Like that's not what sermon critique is. It's a time to say, hey, what can I what can I do better? What do I see myself doing really well that I need to lean into? Yeah. Uh, so yes, I mean, <laughs> if there's no context and someone walks in and you're always watching your own messages, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that would be hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but I, and I hear your point there and, and you're but like, I, I can explain, I can explain. <laughs> yes. I can explain. I can explain. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah. So I think that there's, um, I think that there's real, uh, real value to watching yourself and, and seeing how you interact with, with, the uh with folks and how you come across and you know i'm a big dude so honestly it's always hard for me to watch myself preach i'm six foot eight and i always am blown away by how i actually look because i'm in my body and then it's like oh my gosh like i'm walking around there i look like a giraffe on stage and it's just like but i can just but here's the thing it's like i just laugh about it because i'm like well, i can't do anything about that this is how god made me and so even there's parts of watching yourself preach that are just good for your soul to say like god you've put me in this body and you've you've given me these gifts and i am and it has to be you that uh draws it has to be the spirit of god drawing people to christ through the teaching of your word and and it is humbling but it's also good in for us preachers to not take ourselves too seriously because sometimes i think that's how we get stuck and we begin to overestimate our own importance and uh and 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 we bear more pressure than God is actually calling us to bear. Yeah. 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 Well, when you spoke about some of the critique that you've received, um, you said that somebody was pointing out that like, you don't smile very much or it's not your, your natural demeanor isn't kind of a, a big kind of goofy grin up there. And that's something that I noticed as I've been listening to some of your messages, you've been preaching through the, um, Jesus's seven letters to the seven churches. And I'm about to start that same series. So I've been enjoying and I've been learning and been encouraged from you on my, on my walks. And I did kind of make a note to myself as I was listening, um, that there is like a, a confidence and like 
an authoritativeness when when you preach and there's a lot of you know clarity and that clarity can kind of come across very strong um yet there's a, a real kindness there I, I get the impression like you love these people and you're speaking incredibly clear and directly to them um how how has that kind of voice been been developed in you I think that that has been something that I always need to manage. So growing up, I mean, just to give a a quick biography, growing up, I was a very sensitive kid. And so I wasn't a very strong person growing up, uh, didn't have a ton of friends. Um, You know, I, I have sort of a someone who I didn't even think of myself as a leader, never got picked to be captain of any of my teams. But there is something that God did in my life during my early 20s that awoken something in me, uh, a strength that I didn't realize that the Lord had given me. And so I feel like as I've grown into who God has called me to be, um, there is an authority when I preach for sure, and people feel that. Um, I think I I tend to, to bend more prophetic in my gifting as a preacher and so I, I tend to be more confrontational and, you know, my kind of approach to preaching is, is this is what God's word says, are we going to do it or not? Like that, if I could just give a sentence, it's like, this is what God has said. Yeah. Uh, why aren't you doing it? Yeah. But yeah. it's also not void of God's grace and not void of God's mercy. So when I first started preaching, one of the questions I asked my wife after every message was, honey, was that too harsh? And she would just say, no, honey, not at all. But that was a fear for me because one thing I'm very passionate about is, is I I never want to hurt God's people. Like, and I don't want to have a go at God's people at the pulpit on Sunday, but at the same time, uh, even going through the seven letters of revelation, you have to grapple with the fact that Jesus, he's not flattering anyone in the seven letters. He is a man of intense reality. And so I, in my preaching, I try to let my tone match the tone of the text. And at the same time, I want that text to be seen in light of the grace and the mercy of God. But what's interesting about the seven letters, Mike, is Jesus is the one who's speaking. And so it's a it's a dimension of the personality and the reality of who Jesus is that that we need to wrestle with, that Jesus looks at a church and he says, this is what's going well, but this is what's going wrong. And it's going so wrong that if you don't get it figured out in a hurry, I'm going to shut the church down. And that really, um, like, we need to not be coddled in the church, but at the same time, uh, the way in which we communicate needs to still bear the fruit of the spirit. So that's kind of how I think. I want to be clear about what the text is saying, but I also want to bear the fruit of the spirit as I'm preaching. And and I think that's a tension that I'm always trying to wrestle with in my authoritative, uh, confrontational style of preaching. Yeah. So you you've um, asked your wife regularly, was I was I too harsh? Um, is anyone else kind of giving you like um, you know? tone feedback um in this oh all the t- all the time that's actually the feedback i receive the most is hey you need to vary your tone or you need to um 
you know, you need to give some kind of release point. And I think I'm, I think I'm, I've gotten better at that and I'm learning that. Uh, but I, it, you know, if I go just a hundred miles an hour the whole time, that makes it tough to listen to. Um, and, and, and so I'm, I think that's something I'm always working on. Uh, being strong, being clear comes naturally, but also thinking about gentleness in, in my mind and my heart. Like I want to have moments of gentleness within the message because I really do want people to feel the warmth and the love of God. Uh, but I also don't want to apologize mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for the call to discipleship that we find in, in every text. So that's a balance. And I think the, and I, so I think that's the feedback that I get. No one ever comes up to me and is like, wow, it really feels like you're being mean today. Like that's not <laughs> what happens yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, but I do know that, um, when people are hearing my voice most weeks, I do need to be aware that every message can't have that prophetic flair. Sure, uh, there needs to be times when the church needs to to breathe and to and to just kind of take a break from that. And so, after seven letters, we we came into a Christmas series, um, and, and you know, I'm always teaching the text, but it was good not to talk about what Jesus sees in a church. It was good to talk about the Christmas story and Emmanuel, God with us. And so I'm very mindful of those things uh, because I I, want to give people the space and the time they need to grow and to process and, uh, and to be confronted, but also to be comforted. Yes. Yeah. That's, that is, that's wise. And I, it was in that idea of tone or even even with those seven you know sermons which are all they're all heavy because you know what was it five out of seven the church is told to repent so there's a heaviness to them that we shouldn't mute and we shouldn't make it cute you know and don't, don't turn it into something lighthearted. but it was um uh bob thune from Coram Deo church in omaha nebraska he he talks about preaching and he says that um he calls them islands of refuge, that there should be little um, light moments or reprieves, or even if it's not, you know, something as trivial as like a, as a joke or a quip, but there should be some sort of like a, an illustration or like kind of like giving people a chance to kind of catch their breath, you know, to, they go against the island and they, they grab hold of it and then you sweep them out to sea once more. Um, and I, I, you strike me as someone who's probably intentional about adding those, whether you call them islands of refuge or, or not those little moments to catch a breath. Yeah. I it's, that's an awesome illustration. I like to think of it, you know, similarly, like you're, you're driving down the throughway and, and you're going, um, 75, but sometimes you need to get stop at the rest stop and grab a cup of coffee. And then you mm. kind of begin your trip again. <laughs> yeah. I think the sermon has to have that kind of, that kind of flow and, and so, you know, I do like to use humor in my messages. I do like to have lighthearted moments. Um, and, but sometimes I just need to pray that the Holy Spirit would give me those because those aren't written in to my manuscript. And so, uh, and I think of, as I've gotten more comfortable, I've, I've learned to do that better. Um, and, and then I always think as the sermon is concluding, people always need to leave. They always need to leave uh, with the comfort, the grace, uh, the the joy that comes with full surrender to Christ. So even no matter how, quote unquote, hard the message is, if it doesn't, if people aren't exiting without gospel hope, I'm not sure what you're doing. Because 
We all need that because because here's how I know that I'm human. I fail and I need hope for my life because there are lots of times when I'm like, why can't I just get it together? And I know people get that. And at the same time, we want to take the call of Christ and the call to follow him with just painstaking seriousness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you, it's otherwise it's, it's crushing or to use the language of, of Brian Chapel, it's just, we're, we're just putting bricks in people's backpacks yeah. and they leave more browbeaten and more weighed down than when they came in. And life is hard enough and we, we have hope. And if people come to like the, the hope dispensary, you know, the, the church yeah. of Jesus Christ and are just told you're not doing good enough. Um, that's what a, what a disservice that we're doing to Christ's sheep. I, but I, and I would just add to that, Mike, I do think if you're only ever trying to be encouraging, you will get a sleepy church in no time. Like people will start to take God very lightly. And I would say in the West, we're already taking God very lightly. So there is a sense where we don't, and I totally agree with the fact that we don't want to weigh people down, but I do think there's a place for people to be awoken to the glory, the greatness of who God is, because I think everything in our life is distracting us from that. And so I think what we're really trying to get at is, is there is this balance between um, weighing people down and allowing them to stay asleep that needs to be, uh, we need to think about that in our own lives and in the local church that that sometimes people will just want you to tell them that the status quo of their life is fine. Like you can keep making God a part of your life, not your whole life. And everything's going to be fine. I like to call that the American dream. Um, I've got God, I've got my 401k, I've got my family and we come to church when we can. And when we're here, we want you to cheer and shout for us because we made the time to be here once a month. And it's like, no, no, like you, that's not at all what Jesus is calling you to. But at the same time, I don't think shame ever changes anyone. Shame drives us deeper into guilt. Grace drives us to the cross if it's presented in a way that there really is bad news, but there really is this great news. And uh, we just want to always come to a place of surrender. Thank you for that thoughtful pushback received and agreed with. Thank you very much. <laughs> that's how my, you just, that's what my preaching is like. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. In, in the remaining few minutes, I have, I have, uh, I have two questions. The second one isn't as important, but um, okay. I'm going to ask. Okay. So you just, you, you talk for as long as you want. And then, all right. So how are you trying to grow? What are you trying to get better at? How, what's your, what's your like improvements um, hopefully going to be like in the coming year? Yeah. So here's something that I really have been thinking a lot about. Um, and I have been thinking a ton about just trying to discern in the preaching moment, what the Holy Spirit wants to flavor the message with that may not be in my manuscript. So here's what I mean by that. I am a word for word manuscript guy. And I know not everyone is. I teach my students to be word-for-word -word manuscript people, not forever, but at least to start so that they can 
Because I think the easiest thing to do in preaching is just like not do the process and just wing it. And a winged sermon is a bad sermon 100% of the time. But for a guy like me, who truthfully can pride myself in the wrong way about being super prepared, like that's one, like for, I'm always aiming for clarity. So I always need to be very prepared. Like I prepare hard. But I think sometimes when we prepare hard, it's like, okay, here's my sermon. It's on the page. It is what it is. And I'm just going to go and let this manuscript rip. I am trying to pay more attention to the nudges of the spirit as I'm delivering the message. And I've been praying for that more. And, And here's how I think I've been framing my prayers. We pray this before church on Sunday. I've been praying this in my quiet time. Um, I don't want to be more dependent on my gifting than I am on the spirit of God. And so I think it's easy for me because I have a gift in this area to lean into my gift. And so I am trying to grow by leaning more into the spirit of God. And that doesn't mean I'm not preparing. It doesn't mean I'm not in the books. It does mean that I am trying to pay more close attention to what the spirit wants to say during the preaching moment. And by the way, for people who are maybe uh, not charismatic in their background, don't be afraid. This is not a moment where I'm saying, you know, maybe I'll say something, some new revelation. It's it's no, maybe there's insight into the text or insight into people's lives that I believe the Holy Spirit gives in the preaching moment. That is a very straight line from the text to their heart. And that's what I think the Holy Spirit is doing, drawing straight lines from the text to the heart so that transformation can occur. Yes. Yes. Amen. From one charismatic to the other. Thank you for, for highlighting that <laughs> and, and for setting the rest of, of, of the listeners at ease a little bit. I appreciate that clarity that you're making. Cla- again, clarity is kind, right? Yes. Yes. And so I want to grow in that area and uh, not just get through my manuscript, but to really um, understand what God wants to do in the preaching moment. And uh, and truthfully, over the last couple of months, there's just been some moments as I've been preaching where I've just been amazed by, here's what's been happening, truthfully, Mike, over the last couple of months of my preaching. the When people give me their, like, hey, Pastor Joe, that was so good. The things they're talking to me about, I am always saying, well, that's interesting because that wasn't in my notes. Like, like they're, the favorite parts of the message are the things I didn't prepare. And so I'm just like, wow, Lord, let's get after this more. Like I am, I want to just pay as much attention to that as possible, but that doesn't, I don't sit in my office and think like, well, I don't need to work hard now because the Holy Spirit's just going to show up. I don't, I don't think that at all. I think that's, and especially, you know, speaking of charismatics, I I think that's actually um, a really unhelpful uh, approach to preaching is, is the Holy Spirit's going to show up. So I don't have to work hard. Uh, That's not at all. Uh, when Paul says to Timothy, show yourself a workman approved by God, uh, there is a clear biblical expectation that there's going to be work involved yeah. in the proclamation of God's word. Yeah. And, you know, you, you said two things, and I think both of them are true. Like you you said a few minutes ago, you said that like uh, wing, a, wing, a winged sermon, a spontaneous sermon is never good. You know, <laughs> that just like just getting up there and riffing is is never is never good. And then also you said that like, oftentimes it's those spontaneous comments that you make in the moment that really resonates with people's hearts and minds. And, and that's, both of those can, can be true. You have to yeah put the work in, we prepare our heart, we till the soil, we study the text, and then we're open for those 
off the cuff illustrations or examples or or driving something a little bit deeper. Um, but you, you can't really do the, the latter without putting the work in the former. Absolutely. Because there's a deep connection there because there has to be a deep connection to what you're saying to the text. Yeah. Yeah. Like the yeah. Holy Spirit is working through the word and with the word. Uh, it, it's not usually the Holy Spirit's working, but the word's not, you know, it's like, that's not how it works. That's God. God works through his word. Um, so I, that's just theologically how my mind works and uh, gives me great confidence in, in the Lord. Yeah. Theologically it's how, it's how God works too. So that's great. Yeah. It's not just right. a quirky exactly. Joe thing. <laughs> that's no, I know, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes I'm always speaking out of, you know, growing up in Pentecostal circles, there seemed to be kind of a low view of the word of God um, and a high view of the spirit as if you had to choose one and not the other. And that dichotomy is just, and I know most people from other uh, streams of Christianity would say like, well, of course that's not true. But when you do grow up in charismatic Pentecostal circles, you do sometimes sense like we don't have to prepare. We don't have to study, you know, God's going to show up and everything's going to be fine. And it's like, nope, that's, that, that's not it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, Joe, I, I had one more question, but I don't, we don't have time. And you know what? That just guarantees I'll get you back on the show next year. Okay. Oh, Mike, I would love to come back. And I just want to say to you, uh, just on a personal level, I've so enjoyed this podcast and just want to keep encouraging you to, to stay after it. It's a blessing to my heart. I've been encouraged by uh, so many of your guests and I think you're doing an awesome job. And I just wanted to thank you for loving preaching so much. And, um, and, and more importantly, I know it's not that you love preaching, it's that you love the Lord. Mm -hmm. And this format is just a blessing to preachers and it's a blessing to me. So thank you for having me and uh, keep up the great work. Joe, that's very kind. Well, thanks. Well, to, to you and to all the listeners of the show, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much. Well, Joe, once again, thanks for your kind words. You didn't need to say that, and I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Well, hey, this is an announcement to everybody, really. Uh, for those of you that have listened all the way to the end, I think you should be the first to know that we've just scheduled our or one of our 2023 uh, preaching training events. Uh, this one is taking place in Indianapolis, Indiana. The, the home of the Indy 500 is going to be home of an Expositors Collective training event taking place Friday, October 20th and Saturday the 21st. So the details have just been confirmed and locked in and I know it's going to be a great time. And so we'll be doing like a big promotional push and advertising and all that kind of thing in the next couple of uh, weeks and months leading up to October. But I wanted you guys to, to hear it from me first. Indianapolis, Indiana, October 20th and 21st. So like I mentioned, there will be Instagram posts and Facebook and blah, blah, blah. But the most important kind of advertising is word of mouth. So if you're listening and you know somebody who lives in that area, somebody who is a young or new or older and experienced Bible teacher, somebody who wants to put some work in to stewarding their craft 
and to, as Joe would put it, lean into the spirit of God and the word of God for the public proclamation of his word. Well, then that's what we want to do. We want to help you. So if you are in Indiana or you know somebody who is, or if you're willing to travel, then man, I can't wait to see you in October in Indianapolis, Indiana. Just so you know, uh, there is going to be one in Texas that will be probably earlier than October, but we're still working out and looking at calendars and trying to to figure out how that's going to work out. But South Texas is coming and Indianapolis is definitely locked in. All right. Sorry for the prolonged uh, travel log, uh, travel itinerary, but this is just for like the faithful, long-term, committed listeners who listen all the way to the end. All right. You heard me say it earlier on, but I'll say it again. I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. See you next Tuesday.